following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. As we continue our study in the book of Amos, if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Amos, we'll be in chapter 5. Amos chapter 5. And I really appreciate the book of Amos uh, in many different ways. One way simply being that the book of Amos is given to us here as a warning, and it is just as applicable to uh, to the warning that we need in our day today. And so as uh, the people in Amos's day are getting their warnings and being uh, told what uh, what's going on, what's wrong, and how they need to uh, change and how they need to turn back to God. Uh, we too could have this exact same message preached to us today, and it would be just as applicable, just as uh, pointed. And it's an amazing thing when we look at exactly what it is that Amos is talking about and how the people are behaving during that time. We can really see some parallels uh, in how we uh, we see our world today and the way that the church at large has responded, or should I say perhaps not responded. Now, if you'll remember, we've noted several issues with the of Israel, one being the warnings that, uh, uh, the warnings that are included here. Warnings of uh, rejecting God's law, rejecting his commandments. Uh, We've seen the greed, the idolatry, the oppression. We've seen all these different things. uh, And and it even kind of culminated at a sinful practice in worship. Uh, Their practices, their worship practices had become very sinful, very self-motivated, very self-driven. And uh, they were were, uh, chastised uh, as a result of this. And so when, when we look at some of the things that are taking place with Amos, it doesn't surprise me that here in chapter 5, there is sort of this uh, lamentation that is given. Now, the book of Amos is written, as I told you before, it's a prophetical book, but it is written very poetically. And this is an, another example of, of Hebrew poetry uh, it is a uh, type of poetry referred to as a dirge, and uh, perhaps you have uh, experienced dirges. You know, we say things like a funeral dirge, you know, when you hear the funeral dirge song coming across, and, and it's that type of mentality. So the poem is very, very sullen, very somber. So we look here at chapter number five, and stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's word. Look at chapter 5, starting in verse 1, please. Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. 
the virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord, the city that went out by a thousand, by a hundred, and that which went forth by a hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Ye who turn judgment to wormwood, and leave off righteousness in the earth, seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. That strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong, so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, and ye take uh, for him, from him uh, burdens of wheat, ye have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards but ye shall not drink wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They affect just the just. They take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence at, in this time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you, as ye have spoken, hate the evil, and love the good, and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Father, bless, we pray, the reading of your word. And Father, let it not just be another Sunday that comes and goes without any action on our part. But Father, that you would use your holy scripture to wake us up, and that we would walk away from this place seeking you, seeking good, because we want to hate the evil. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I entitled this God's Plea for Your Life, and as we have noticed over and over again in this chapter, the word seek seems to be the key word. It's telling us to seek something. It's telling us to reject something else. And so this idea of seeking comes into play. And, and you know, the, the sad thing is, just as in uh, uh, Amos's day, they had uh, allowed idolatry, greed, sinful worship practices, and so forth, the oppression of the poor. By Amos' day, 
they had come to the place where there really was no middle class. They had gotten to the place where the rich kept getting richer and the poor kept getting poorer. And that 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 uh, uh, split between the two had gotten to such a, a vast uh, 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 expanse that it was almost impossible for anyone to maintain or to get out of their lowly station and into a higher station. And, and these uh, uh, this oppression, this sinfulness, this idolatry was never meant to be the way of God's people. God's people were meant to be generous people. They were meant to be giving people. They were meant to be caring people. You look back into books such as Ruth, and you have the gleaning of the fields. This was this was the way they were supposed to be. You weren't supposed to go out into your field and bring everything in. You were supposed to leave some so that for the uh, for the people who didn't have any, and they were supposed to leave parts in the field so that those who didn't have the ability to get food, maybe they didn't have a plot of land of their own, they could come in and they could pick up some of the left and they too would be able to eat. They were a very charitable uh, 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 nation, or at least they were supposed to be. Then they asked for a king, and this king was never the, uh, the, the heart of God. He never desired for them to have a king because he was supposed to be their king. And so this monarchy was not the idea, is not a biblical style of rule. And just so you know, democracy is not either. Theocracy, God being our leader. That's the biblical uh, motive, and that's the biblical way that a place ought to be run. That's the biblical, <clears throat> the biblical government. We are to look to God for our help, not a government, not a man-made government, but God for our help. But the sad thing is, this was something that took place in the people of Israel over the course of many years. They had gotten comfortable, and they had started to land in this uh, sinful attitude, this sinful mindset, and, and this was not something that happened overnight. It was not something that took place immediately. I, I don't think that you necessarily had uh, one group of people saying, we're going to serve the Lord, and then four years later, you had another group of people saying, nah, we're going to give up on that, and we're going to do it a different way. This was something that took place gradually, and little by little, things uh, came into, uh, into being. Little by little, at this gradual pace, things started to change. And this is the way sin works. I want you to understand something. Sin creeps in, just like false doctrine does. It creeps in, and we see it regularly where uh, those things that uh, uh, used to, they would have caused us to blush 20 years ago, today we are accepting them as normal behavior. Think about it for just a moment. The things that when, when, when we were children, and I know that there are a lot of young people here, and perhaps you have never known a day where we, where we don't blush about the things that we blush today, but back when, when we were growing up 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, 90, however old you are, years ago, you would have blushed at some of the stuff that people are saying is just normal today. This is the way sin works. Uh, you know, when when uh, uh, when the founding fathers first came over here, I don't think that they had in mind some of the stuff that people are fighting for the on the law books today. They had none of this in mind. Sin, sin, gradually. This is what happens. But I want us to note several different things in this passage, and I'm going to try to actually work 
backwards in chapter 5. So if you want to look with me, uh, starting in verse 21, I want you to note what is said here. This is the Lord saying, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take you away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years? O house of Israel, but ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and your Chewin, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. Therefore will I cause you to go down into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. I want to note this part very at the very beginning because it's important for us to understand. People say all the time, God doesn't hate, hate it when I come to worship. Oh, no, 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 my friend. God can hate worship too. Realize that. Well, I'm doing something for the Lord. I'm actually, I'm even raising a holy hand in the midst of the singing. I'm singing songs of God. Do you realize that when we go at him and we do these things in an improper manner or improper motivation or we do them for the wrong reasons, do you realize that that is something that is detestable to God? He says, I hate that. And we, we constantly pour out these praises to him But the question is, does he want to hear what we're saying? Because he may actually hate what is coming out of our mouth. He may actually despise the celebrations that we're partaking in. But we're so wrapped up in what we have done for year after year after year, the way we have done it, and we have let ourselves lose the heart's desire, and no longer is it I come to sing praises to him because my heart is honestly full. My heart is bubbling over, and praise be to God for his unspeakable gifts. Take me to higher ground, God. Take me to higher ground. Instead, it's, let Lord lift me up and let me stand. There, this one, by heaven's table land. Uh, we used it's all the time when I was a kid. Kind of a boring song, but the higher plane. Oh, they're singing this one now. Oh, I can't stand hymns. You can't find a way to praise God in a hymn? Well, I don't like this contemporary music. You can't find a way to praise God with something fresh? Is it about what we like or is it about what he likes? him. And we've got to get our worship back to the place where I'm no longer singing what I want to sing. I'm no longer saying what I want to say. I'm no longer doing what I want to do. But because I love him and because I adore him and because of how good he has been to me, I can't do anything but praise the Lord. When we lose that, God says, I'm not smelling anything that smells good. I like coming home from time to time, and you walk in the house, and, and, and there's, there's an aroma that hits you. You're like, oh, mom's been cooking. Right? Mom's been cooking. 
what you got on the stove today, baby. And what do you do? The first thing you do is you walk into the kitchen, you're mm. You open it up. Oh, that looks good. You lift off the lid off that pot. Oh, baby. <laughs> you know how to make daddy happy. <laughs> right? You ever walked into the house and go, oh, dear Lord, what's that aroma? We've come home from trips before. Oh, my goodness. We forgot to run the dishwasher. Uh, You know, you got that that smell that just, it's all, it just knocks you down, right? You know, sometimes worship. I wonder how many times God has gone, oh, Andy, don't sing. Oh. I know your heart's not in it, son. Andy, that, that smells detestable, son. It's gross. From time to time, I like to do the cooking to save my wife a little bit of heartache and trouble. And there have been times where she's come home and she's looked and she goes, oh, that actually looks good. She uses the word actually. not 100% sure yet how to take that. But there have been times where I've gotten creative, and I don't follow a recipe. I just well, I like peanut butter, and I like pepperoni. Have you ever tried a peanut butter pepperoni sandwich? Don't knock it. Not allowed to knock it till you try it. But I, thank you. But there have been times where I've put dinner on the table and, you know, my wife comes home and she's, she's been, been at work and I'm, I'm going to save her the effort. I'm going to do the cooking today. And I put it on the table. Everybody comes in. All the kids are around the table. Sarah's sitting at the table. One bite in, right? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not too long ago, I tried something like that. And I said, baby, I'm not 100% sure about this one. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. And I took a... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Frozen pizza that night, right? I wonder how many times God's gone, mm-mm, mm-mm, push that plate away. This is where Israel had come. God's chosen people, his nation. I wonder how many times God looks down on America today and goes, mm-mm, mm-mm. Wonder how many times he looks down on the church today and goes, Mm-mm. "This is something that we need to take very seriously." Sadly, many in the church, for many in the church, being a Christian is about not about living a certain kind of life. They go to church to be replenished after the rough week. I've had a long week, and I'm looking forward to being replenished today. Maybe they go to church for another reason. Ask yourself, and you know what? We put notepads all around this place so that you all have the ability to take notes if you would show. So, like, I encourage you to do this. Write down why you came today. If you can't think of a reason, we've got a problem. But why did you come? Did you come to be re-energized so that you can face another difficult week? Did you come because you wanted to sing songs and you're looking forward to singing a song? Did you come because you couldn't wait to get part three of the book of Amos? 
Did you come because you wanted to see your friend across the way? Why did you come? You see, being a Christian, understand this, being a Christian is not about what we claim to be, but about the life that we live, and we are to live like Christ. This is when our worship becomes pleasing to the Lord. It's about Him. Philippians tells us, but for me, to live is Christ. That's the life of the Christian. I was talking with Tim the other day. We were out. He was giving me a ride. and We were talking, we were talking about a situation before. I told a lady one time, she, she get, gives, you ever have somebody give you this number and you call yourself a Christian? You ever have that? I said, I didn't call myself that. You called me that. See, that's, this, is, this is the part of Christianity that we need to wake up to. It's not about a label I take on upon myself, but it's about a lifestyle. And if you read about the time that the, uh, they were first called Christians, it was actually not meant as a, a label as much as they're just they're acting like that Christ guy. They're many Christ. Christians mean Christ. Like they're just acting just like that Christ guy. There's a lot of Trumpians. There's a lot of Republicans. There's a lot of Democrats. There's a lot of Sandersians. I don't know how you get on there. I don't know. However you'd say that. There's a lot of different people today. Christian. That's something that we need to be a little more focused on. We're real quick to embrace a title, aren't we? It's about time that we start to, to, to live a life revealing a title that just comes naturally instead of trying to take one upon ourselves. You ask yourself, do I attend church worship to worship God? Do I attend the sermons to learn more about how I can be more like Christ? Uh, uh, the, uh, do I uh, live a life of pursuit of being more like Christ? You know, so often there's this heavy focus on what we do and, that our celebrations and our fellowships and our activities, et cetera, uh, that we forget the one that we're doing them for. What would God say, let me ask it this way, what would God say about our celebrations? What would he, would, would, would he be honored how we celebrate Christmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving? Would he be honored with that? Now, I can think back, there have been many times through the years that uh, I've wondered, okay, so what are you supposed to do on Thanksgiving, right? What are you, what are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to be thankful, right? You're supposed to, supposed to give thanks. How much between the food, the preparation, the TV, the, how much giving thanks to God did we really do? The football games? I, I'm sure there's several people, you know, as soon as touchdown, thank you, God. Next. When the meal came out, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, let's eat, right? How much thinking did we actually do to him? Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Christ. I wonder if we spend as much time preparing ourselves to celebrate the birth of Christ and to talk about the one who came, the one who gave his life, the one who set aside glory, became one of us. Do we spend as much time in preparation for that as we do wrapping presents? 
and we want God to be excited about our celebrations. This is a festivity for you. No, it's not. It's a festivity for us. Now, before you walk away, oh, man, Pastor was really digging on Christmas. I guess he doesn't like Christmas. I love Christmas. But we need to get it in the right frame of mind. God didn't say quit celebrating the Passover, quit celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, quit celebrating uh, 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 Pentecost, quit doing these things. He didn't say to quit doing that. He says, I hate it because it's out of the wrong heart. It's detestable. And you're mixing everything else but me. You're leaving me behind. How would you like for everybody to, let's, let's throw a birthday party for you this year and not invite you. As a matter of fact, on the we're going to put Brother Dale's name on it. I know it's your cake, but we're going to put Dale's name on it instead. And when we sing, we're going to sing to Jeff. I know it's your birthday. Would you enjoy that party? I didn't even get invited. How can I enjoy it? The party held in your honor, wasn't it? Let's look at a couple other things, and we'll, and I apologize. I had to pull my watch out because they made it like Vegas in here. They tucked the clock away. There's one step in the wrong direction. That's okay. One of the Sunday school teachers told me today, we need more time so I can preach longer. Boy, you got quiet on that. Man. You know, looking at a couple other things here. The reverse can also be true that we, we say, well, I'm focused on God so much that I don't care about any of this other stuff. You know, when I'm buying a gift for someone, I try to do it based on what they like. I try to. My wife likes warmth. She likes heat. She doesn't like cold. So usually when... Christmas and birthdays, things like that come around. Guess what I buy her? An air conditioner. No. Buy her something to keep her warm. She likes pretty things. I like to get her pretty things. One of my daughters loves music. Another one's really into basketball. My son is really into yo-yos. He's a chip off the old block. So I think I'm going to buy music for my son, a yo-yo for my daughter, and I'll probably get uh, a video game for my other daughter. No. I think about what they like. I get to know what they want, figure out what's going to interest them. Maybe we ought to do this with the Lord too. God, what do you want? What do you want from me? What What do you like? You see, when I follow through with what, with what I do, and I I do what I want, and I ignore what he wants, the worship has changed. Service and obedience equals worship. And when I do what God asks of me, I am worshiping him. But when I ignore his commands and do what I prefer, I am worshiping me. You see, this is why our celebrations can very quickly become about us and less about him because we start worshiping ourselves. You see, these people had not stopped going to church. They were still going 
to worship. They were still going to the temple. But they were doing it with the wrong heart. And they had completely muddied the worship. Completely messed it up. You see, there's nothing more arrogant. Think about this. He was disgusted with their self-centered, sensual style of worship. Disgusted by it. He said, it stinks. But they wanted him to accept it anyway. And there are many people in, in churches today, by and large, that they want to be able to come and go, you know what, I don't have to worry about the heart. At least I'm here. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. At least I showed up. There's nothing more arrogant than pushing something on someone that they don't want. Take it anyway. I don't have to do it your way. I can do it my way. I thought you were supposed to, God looks at the heart. You should know that I really mean it. No, no, my friends. For us to hand God garbage and what is left over and expect him to be happy with that is prideful and arrogant. Well, let's ask it this way. Are you offering worship that God hates. Man, we may very well be guilty of that. May very well be guilty. Look at verse 18. It says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. And if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him, shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. You see, this is one of those things where we need to make sure we realize what we really want. Because what we're asking for and what we think we want may not be what we really want. And here they are, apparently the general understanding of the day of the Lord in that day was that it was going to be a day when God would come and fight their battles for them, fight off their enemies, run their enemies away. This is what the day of the Lord was to them. And Amos was like, wait a minute, you need to understand, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. And judgment not only on the, on the heathen, but on you as well. And so we need to be waking up to the reality that it may not be such a good day like we think it might be. We may have to face the Lord and give an account for things that we didn't, we, we thought were forgiven, but in all honesty, we had never truly asked for forgiveness. In all honesty, we had never, Jesus said it this way, he says, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. But didn't we do these great works in your name? We even preached and, and cast out devils in your name. He says, I never knew you. And so there are going to be many people who are looking forward for the day of the Lord because they think that what they have done or the actions that they have taken part in or the ministries that they have taken part in or the different uh, the amount of money that they have given or their attendance record is going to make everything okay. And God says, it's about knowing me. Do you know me? If you don't know me, the day of the Lord is going to be a bad, bad day. So get it right now. Do you know the Lord? 
They felt secure in their national or familial. Listen, your mom and your dad's uh, religiousness is not going to get you to heaven. Your spouse's uh, Bible knowledge is not going to get you to heaven. It's you and him. You gotta get that right. Nobody else can do this for you. Nobody else. You see, they failed to see this day of the Lord. There are many in the church today, I'm afraid, have the same issue. They think that they're safe, but there's never been any real evidence of a heart change. So that day will not be what they think it's going to be. It's going to be sad. Then third, look at verse 4. 4 all the way through 17, and we've already read this, but just kind of give you a little bit of a, a look into it here. It says, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek ye me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not uh, to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. Drop down to verse 8, seek him. Drop down to verse 14, seek good and not evil. Understand this, man seeks by nature what they believe has value. Man naturally seeks something, and they believe that something has value. That's what they're going to make their lifelong pursuit. For some, it's money. For others, it may be family or their reputation. But how valuable is God to you? How valuable is God? Now, don't give the Sunday school answer. I want to know about you personally. Get this, we got those notepads. Take one out and just answer that question. How valuable is God to you? Would you be willing to give up your family for him? Would you be willing to give up your hobbies for him? Would you be willing to give up that new job that you so love because it's really filling the bank account for him? Would you be willing to, you, fill in the blank? How valuable is he? And God is calling the people of Israel. He says, seek me. Not everything else that you're looking at. For so many people, money is the goal, and they're constantly looking for better pay, for better hours, more hours. For some people, it's that family. Their family is their goal. Other people have made their personal safety, their comfort, their goal. Or perhaps what people think of them. I'm worried about what people think of me. And that's what's most important. What about what people think of God because of you? Is that important? You see, Amos diverts us, verses 5 and 6, we see this, to the only pursuit worth having, and that's to seek God. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, but seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal. He says, "Don't, don't seek church. The tabernacle is not your security, in other words. Verse 6, seek the Lord and ye shall live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Listen, I, I, I absolutely love church. I love my church. I love being here, singing praises with God's people. I love proclaiming God's truth. But Liberty Bible Church is not God. 
We're here to point you to God. You see, all endeavors in the false worldviews, they're all about their own self, making you feel better, making you feel more important. That's, that's self-worship. Well, pastor, what can we do to make people feel better about themselves? Apparently, send them to a different church. Because I'm here to let you know something. I'm a worthless piece of garbage. But the God who created the universe wanted me, died to give me a relationship with him so that I could be united with him for all eternity. If that doesn't make someone feel good about themselves, I don't know what will. You want me to pat you on the back and say, good job, honey, I think you're pretty. Or let you know about the creator of the universe, loving you, dying for you, making you new, taking up residence in you. What else can there be? That's phenomenal. You see, Matthew 6.33 said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But we're so busy seeking everything else, right? You see, God is so much higher, so much grander than I. Why not pursue the best? You see, all other pursuits are worthless and futile. He says there in verse 5, he says, Bethel's coming to naught. In other words, Bethel's going to be destroyed. Bethel is going to become worthless. But he, he lives on forever. You know, what, what's going to happen here? Let's, let's, let's take us again as an example. Our heart at Liberty Bible Church is to bring glory and honor to God. That's the heart. I believe that that was the heart when Pastor McCracken was pastoring, and it's the heart that I have. It's all about bringing glory and honor to God. No matter what we do, no matter all the externals, no matter how we go about it, that's the heartbeat. We want to bring glory and honor to God. We do that through introducing people with him. We do that through educating people in the word of God. We do that through reaching out and, 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 and serving one another. We do these in different ways. But if the only thing that people get at Liberty Bible Church is their, their little community, and we don't actually get them to see the glory and the majesty, the, the awesomeness of God, what happens when a 747 crashes and takes out this church? You see, what we do eternally will move on past that. It's all about him. It's all about him. And just kind of notice something here. This is something that ought to be a warning for us if you look at verse 13. It's almost as if Amos puts an interjection right here. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it's an evil time. You know what he's saying? Remember, he's, he's a, kind of a blunt one. 
he pauses to express his feelings that it's probably a waste of my time. That's what he's saying. He says the prudent man just keeps his mouth shut because he's not going to waste his time. Let me think about that. How many times have you watched an argument on TV and some sort of political scheme or what have you, and you're just going, well, that was a waste of my time. <laughs> I, did. I turned on talk radio the other day, and I was like, I wonder what's on. And every time I turn on talk radio, I'm reminded why I don't turn on talk radio. I turned it on, and I'm like, well, that was a waste of my time. I listened for like thirty minute, a 30-minute drive or whatever it was, and I'm listening to this diatribe going, he said nothing. That's 30 minutes. I'm never getting back. It's gone. Wasted. When I could have been listening to something edifying, I could have been listening to Veggie Tales and gotten more edification than that. You see, churches in America, all across America and all across the world are dying because people have a come and join mentality rather than a go and serve mentality. The church employees get everything ready for the people. We make sure to have age-related activities and events. And people come in it with this mindset. What's at this church for me and my family? What's in this church for my kids? What's in this church for my teenagers? Can I let you know what's at this church for your teenagers? The gospel. Can I let you know what's at this church for your kids? The gospel. Can I let you know what's in this church for your, teen, for your family? The gospel. Can I let you know what's in this church for your wife that you think needs a lot of help? The gospel. Brother, can I tell you what's at this church for your husband that you know needs a lot of help? The gospel. Those hellions you call children, we got the gospel for them. Those old people that are stuck in their ways, we got the gospel for them. Let's quit making it about us. So before going out, any of that, let's just kind of take a look for a second. What does this all have to do with God's plea for your life? Well, he says to seek the Lord and live. So much time is wasted seeking everything other than him. We spend time, I, I do it. I was online the other day looking to try to learn how to do something. And I probably spent about three hours trying to learn how to do and not a bit of it was beneficial. I got tired of it and went outside and just started trying to do it. We spend so much time wasted seeking things that are of no eternal benefit. He says, seek me. So seek the Lord. And how do we do this? We seek him through his word. That's where we can find him, his word. God has revealed uh, himself to us through his son. 
in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. That's where we can find him. How we find him is in that humble prayer, and we obey what he reveals to us. That's how we can do it. Well, how do I seek the Lord? Right there. Right there. Compare how much time you spent on YouTube with how much time you spent here. Compare how much time you spent on Facebook with how much time you spent here. Compare how much time you spent on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, whichever one you prefer, compared to how much time you spent here. Is it equal? Are the scales way tipped in the wrong direction? See, now is the time. Isaiah 55, 6 says to seek the Lord while he may be found. Now, in other words. Now. Don't wait until next week to start something new. Start it today. If you're going home saying, I haven't been spending enough time in the Word, then that's not something you wait until Monday to start. When you get home, get in the Word. Don't go home, turn on the ball game. Get in the Word. Then he says to seek what is good as well. This is in contrast to to the evil. He said seek good and not evil. In other words, everything leading up to this that he has mentioned was apparently evil. In other words, the self-centered way that they have been living, their greed, their oppression, so forth and so on, making things about themselves is evil. The good is the opposite. Turning our mind and heart outward is not a natural thing, and it takes effort. We naturally do for self. Naturally. But seeking is to actively exert effort. In other words, do it on purpose. Do good, not evil. See, next year, I wanted to put a little spin to our fellowships. And every time we have those fifth Sunday fellowships, we're going to do it each one, reach one. I'm giving you the, the early information so that you don't feel rushed. Okay, so the fifth Sunday in January is going to be an each one, reach one. And that means if each one of us reach one person, then we're going to be going and doing. This is the difference between the come and join or the go and serve mentality. Let's go out and find someone that we can serve and invite them in. Invite someone to church for Christmas Eve, for the Christmas Day. There's a novel idea. Let's spend time in church on Jesus' birthday. Invite someone to the kids' program on the 18th. This is going out, finding someone to serve. Do you have a ministry idea? Well, you know, I'd really like to see this in this church, but it doesn't really have it. Praise God for putting that on your heart. Come let me know what you need to get it started. Let's get out there and let's get involved and let's do. Now, here's the thing. Ask yourself, how are you serving? 
or if you even are serving. What good are you seeking? You see, Jesus said it this way. He said, if any man will come after me, he needs to deny himself. Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to do that. It's going to take up too much time. Deny yourself. If I start reading the Bible more, I'm not going to catch what's going on in the world today, and I need to know what's in the news. Deny yourself. Well, if I get obedient in this area and serve my wife or serve my husband, who's going to serve me? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. If I give that tithe check, will I have enough? If I give that offering that the Lord should impress upon my heart to give, am I going to deny yourself? I've just got so much going on in my life. I don't really have time to show up for church. I mean, they're doing communion tonight. I really don't have time to do that. I've got other things on. This is about doing in remembrance of him. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. And follow him. Father. Help us with this Lord. I know I can be so selfish and so stubborn. I know I'm not the only one. But Father if we were to. Completely follow you. And completely give ourselves to serving you. We have no idea what could be accomplished for the cause of Christ. If we have been offering to you worship that has been slavery, forgive us. If we have been offering worship that has arisen to your nostrils, a stench and not a sweet-smelling savor, forgive us. And help us this morning, Father, to determine from this day forward, I will seek you. And that's the true life. That's the best life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake. Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.